Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn, and I'm joined today by Caroline, Dr. Caroline West from the Glow West podcast, which many of you listeners would be aware of, part of the Tortoise Shack. And today um, we're going to talk about the, the horrific murder of Ashling Murphy in Tullamore yesterday. There will be vigils held around the country today, um, tomorrow. Um, it's just a horrific, horrific time. Caroline, how do you feel about it now? Oh, Rory, that's a big question. Um, I feel rage, I think, is the predominant one and just a sense of sickness. You know, like I, I think I spent all day on a Thursday on Twitter and social media. I just couldn't pull myself away because it felt like this collective grief and this collective feeling of people sharing all the near misses that they had had as well. And it, I, it was like a moment of just like, helplessness for a lot of people and rage and then fear and just this horrible sense of you know we are just not safe and then I think that was added to by you know certain comments that were coming out in the media from ministers and um radio shows and things like that so I think it's just it's been heavy like I I won't lie like I was up till about two or three last night in the morning I could not sleep because I was angry I just remember my own experiences at the house of spotless the clean I cleaned a lot to get that rage out the kitchen's like great now but it just feels like I just just want this to be the last vigil that we have like how many more is acceptable to have in this tiny little country we have so much like I just worked it out there on social media and according to the women's aid femicide studies or uh, counter that if we had an hour-long vigil for each woman murdered in Ireland since 1996 we'd be there for almost two weeks like two weeks all these women that are murdered and it's it's just and and of course you can't but try to only imagine like what must that family be going through her family just the the level of of grief and torture and torment it just must be horrific extra so then with with regards that i think when the news came out i think there was some sort of reassurance that they'd had somebody in arrested and i think that gave a lot of people a lot of comfort i'm sure her family and then you know coming up to midnight last night the news was breaking that actually no this person has been eliminated from the inquiries and let go now there is a murderer out there in their midst it could be somebody they know it could you know I think a lot of people maybe took a bit of comfort in the fact this may be a stranger thing but now we have to realize this could be you know someone close to the family this might have been someone who stalked Ashling or watched her you know all these kind of things and it's just I I can't even imagine the horror of of sitting back and knowing Oh great, they have them. At least that's something to kind of cling on to. And now that's yeah. that little tiny bit of hope has been absolutely blown away by just that twist that I don't know if anyone saw coming, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was talking to my own wife about it and you know, looking at my, you know, two daughters as well. And you know, you can't but think about it. And what she said, it's like you know, oh, it should be safe. To, like she, she didn't say this, but you know, the talk about it should be safe to run. You should be able. To, she was just saying you should be able to be safe to be a woman. That it's just, you know, that that there's something so fundamentally wrong. Um, 
And as a man in all of this thinking about it and thinking about, you know, this is male violence, this is, and the question is coming up and I know it's been discussed by a lot of men, you know, what can we do? What should we be doing? You know, what should our response be? And, and, and it seems that thankfully there is a rejection, I think, of the hashtag not all men um, concept and idea that, but in terms of men in this, you know, what, what do you think we should be doing? What like, can we do? Google is free, you know, like that comes up so many times. It's like when we ask black women, what can we do about racism? As if we expect them to to give up their time and their labor and their emotional sacrifice and share their traumas just for us. Like we, that information is all there on Google. Like just like men aren't helpless in this situation. They're not clueless. They're not children. They can go to the internet and Google what support services are there to help women? Can I donate to them? You know, is there like a movement of like men who organize to stop violence against women? What can I do to join that kind of place? What can I do to help the women in my life? You know, like this is what I got really frustrated about today. I was on Pat Kenny and I, I and I'd listened to another woman share her story about being assaulted, and I shared mine. And I was like, "Like we've done enough of this. How much of yeah. our trauma do we need to lay bare to to get people to view us as human?" And you know, and we do that, and then we still have people coming along on the internet and going, "Yeah, well, you deserved it." Or, yeah, well, you did this or have the narrative change as soon as you don't do the right thing. And, you know, to go back to your point there, you know, people say, oh, uh, she did the right thing. She was, you know, running at four o'clock and stuff. And I, it, that expression kind of really annoys me because we should be able to do the wrong thing. We should yeah. be able to be passed out on the ground, absolutely hammered, you know, with an alcohol pop in her hand on a Friday night at two in the morning. That is not the problem. The problem is the perpetrator who looks at someone like that and thinks, there we go, I am going to commit sexual violence or I'm going to murder that person. So it, it's not what we do. And, you know, that idea of like, oh, she was only going for a run. It's like, it just belay, like, it doesn't matter what we're doing because that still is focusing the conversation back on the victim, you know, and what they were doing and their behavior. It's, this is nothing to do with where she was. It was nothing to do with what she was doing. It was the fact that she was a woman and a man decided to commit violence because there's, you could have a million hashtags of she was um, washing the dishes and still a man is going to decide to murder, murder her. In my own case, my own domestic violence, I was leaving. I was packing up my stuff. And then my perpetrator decided to throw me across the room and break my bones. And like that, you know, I was leaving. Is that, was that right? Was that wrong? Was I doing it right? Was I a good victim? Was I a bad victim? Did I do it properly? I was trying to leave an abusive situation, but technically no, it didn't happen like that. So I think we need to be really careful about our language because there's people out there listening to that and thinking, I didn't do the right thing, you know, or yeah. I was a sex worker. I, you know, that's, that's viewed as a very unquote bad woman by society. Yeah. You know, there, there have been sex workers murdered in Ireland and the, the narrative changes about them as soon as we, um, that knowledge becomes public. It's like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter, you know? And I think, that's just such a disgusting way to view people. It doesn't matter what they were doing, what they looked like, what they were wearing. You know, people were like, oh, they were just in their work clothes. It doesn't matter. Like that's, can we leave those conversations in the past and focus on the men who do this to women? That's all that matters in this conversation. The location doesn't matter. The clothes don't matter. The level of intoxication doesn't matter. 
it's it's that choice to to enact violence on somebody that matters yeah no i, I think it it absolutely that is where the focus needs needs to be on and and of what needs to happen around that and we think of the you know the justice system or the injustice system and what needs to happen there and just i'm very conscious in terms of you sharing you know your story and that that is there like a constant re-traumatizing of victims when these you know when this happens over again in public yeah there definitely is because most people who have that experience think you know am i next or oh i had a lucky escape or they remember everything that happens and you know like trauma stays in your bones it stays in your dna in your in your cells in your mind it's in trauma is intergenerational so of course when something like this comes up you are going to remember it and you still see those comments you know that one that really annoyed me was why was she out walking alone I, uh, sorry, are we living Incredible. in Victorian land yeah. where we need to have a chaperone? But also, statistically speaking, that chaperone is probably the one that would also murder us because most murders happen in the home. It's something like 86% of the women who have been murdered in Ireland has been in their home and predominantly by a current or ex-partner. So it, we, we can have all the chaperones we want. They're still going to not, we're not going to be safe still. But I think, yeah, that re-traumatization, it just comes up because it just reminds you like the majority of women I know have stories, you know, and they, they've, some have told their stories and some haven't, but it's just like, it's just this collective trauma, but it's built into our culture. And, you know, so it's, it's us, our personal trauma situated into the context of a systemic part of society that treats women like this. You know, our grandparents were locked up in laundries. Our, you know, how many relatives of ours are dead and buried in septic tanks and, you know, in, in Bespera and things like this. How many of our female relatives had to emigrate to England because they were raped and because you're viewed as getting yourself into trouble while the man just stayed there, like no bother and stuff. Like Anne Lovett died in a grotto and nobody ever figured out, you know, there's no conversation about the man in this situation. And it's just like all this trauma and injustice. And it's like, you know, like sexual violence and domestic violence is one thing, like the act itself. Yeah. But you still have to then deal with societal responses, accessing the guards, being traumatized by the guards, being let down by the guards, being let down by the justice system, accessing therapy, dealing with family and friends. You know, like I worked in refuges for eight years and I helped hundreds of women and I had to turn away hundreds of women as well because the government still refuses to adequately fund refuges. There's no refuge space in, in Ireland on many, many days of the week. But like, you just think like some of the stories coming in were people whose parents were like, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, you're making a big deal out of nothing. So it's like we face all this like secondary trauma from the act itself. Like if you think of Ashton's parents, I imagine them seeing things like, why was she out walking on her own? Yeah. What was she wearing? Yeah. You know, like she shouldn't have went out at that time. So they not only have to deal with the loss of their daughter, they have to deal with people blaming Ashling for existing in the world in the way that she should have been able to exist in the world. So we do have all this extra layers and layers and layers and layers. And it's just constant. It's like everyone's tired and frustrated and trying to mind each other and educate ourselves still on it you know everyone's still learning too and mm. people are afraid to speak out in case they say the wrong thing yeah, and it's like yeah. just it, it's 
a mess. <laughs> Try yeah. not to swear, but like no, no, no. It is, it is, and yeah. in some respects, you know, I kind of see. I do feel a certain amount that you know, out of this horrificness, that perhaps it could be a turning point. That it could be. And I know we go, well, how many turning points, how many deaths do there have to be? How many, you know, how much femicide does there have to be? How mu-? But I do feel that the reaction has been phenomenal. And I know internationally as well and, and the vigils that are going to be held um, in terms of, of where we go from here. What, what do you think needs to be done? Um, it's a money thing. A lot of the time it's like, you know, like Leo Varadkar tweeting that like, oh, this is terrible. I, I could don't, he can show his tree where the sun doesn't shine. Leo and, and his ilk have been in charge of the country for years. The Istanbul Convention has been in place for years, which is, you know, a, a requirement that Ireland has adequate refuge spaces for people, mm. women experiencing domestic violence. There is no refuge for men. Um, and they have refused to fulfill those obligations for years and years and years and years. The Rape Crisis Centre has to, you know, fundraise to keep its services open. So stop with the tweets, stop with the glib sound sound bites. Oh, we have to do something. Oh, it's so terrible. Maybe we'll get an app or something like this, which is just nonsense. Like fund domestic violence services, fund sexual violence services, fund childcare for people that they can actually go to sexual violence services, Um, you know, fund education for our young people. We know from extensive research that there are 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds suffering sexual violence they're suffering intimate relationship abuse and they're suffering sexual harassment and having their nudes shared at at such a young age so already at that age there are boys who are seeing women as currency send their nudes i'll get some social currency out of that the discord server leak none of those men viewed those women as human they viewed them as a laugh it's a postage stamp to add to their collection they did not view them as human and there's something missing there when we have so many men doing this and it is a man problem this is not a tech problem an app isn't going to solve it we always have these conversations about we'll get an app and it'll solve the consent issue. It's, it never works. This is a male human experience, not a tech issue. So I think, you know, that education and that empathy and, you know, what I was really struck by during a recent podcast with Megan Maz, was she was saying about her ima- her research into image-based abuse. Um, she had young men who would get girls really, really drunk, assault them and then prop them up and take pictures of them and send it to their friends. And these are teenagers. And it's like, where is the empathy gone? Why is the empathy gone? How do boys turn from cute little adorable little, you know, humans running around with snotty noses and being obsessed with dinosaurs and tractors and stuff? And how do they turn into propping women up in such a vulnerable state for a laugh, for their friends' benefit? What happens in between that, it, like, isn't it? Isn't it back to that? The funding, you're absolutely right. You know, is so essential for all those services, and to enable people, you know, to at some level try and leave those situations, and you know, even think of the housing crisis as well, and how that's impacting on mm-hmm. people being able to leave, um, women being able to leave domestic violence. But 
on a broader societal structure level, you know, you named it on the Pat Kenny show. It is patriarchy. And and people sometimes react to that when when you use that phrase and they go, what is, you know, say, well, we have a patriarchal society. And what does that actually mean? And we need to think about what that means. It means that men see themselves in our society because it, you know, obviously get to go really into this. You know, men aren't born like this. Most no, men not aren't. at all. But society, you know, nurtures not empathetic, understanding, caring, considerate men, but it nurtures and creates men who objectify women, who see women, as you say, as a currency. And that starts from, you know, at different points, but it, you know, increasingly we're seeing it, social media companies, the whole objectification there, the, but it, it goes back to the commercialization. It goes back to the patriarchy. What is that? You know, what is it? It's for, Hundreds of years, thousands of years, men have benefited from oppressing women. And that yeah. infiltrates into everything. And, and, and absolutely everything. And those people grow up to hold positions of power. Yeah. And that's why we see a culture in like the guards that they will, you know, not answer 3,999 calls and not even log domestic violence calls. And I would put money in the fact that most of those calls would have come from women who are maybe travelers or English isn't their second language or women who've called the guards repeatedly. And, you know, the guards yeah. have gone, look, you either get in a court order or we're not coming out anymore. And I've heard women have the guards say that to them. You know, yeah. they'll come in and they'll say, oh, the guards don't bother turning up because they will go, oh, it's just a domestic. We can't do anything until you get that order. So we do have to take that. It is patriarchy. We need to understand all those systems of power, but we do need to take an intersectional approach as well. You know, recognizing that some women are more vulnerable than yeah, others. And, absolutely. You know, women with disabilities are way more likely to experience sexual violence and domestic violence. You know, same with traveler women or sex workers or queer women or people who, you know, have any kind of like intersection on that. I mean, there was a horrendous tweet today and I forget the person who tweeted it, but it was tweeted by Alana Murray, who's been on the podcast before. And it was something about if she was in a wheelchair, she couldn't run. And oh yeah. my God, isn't that so chilling? And the privilege we take at that, like, at least I could try to run, you know, but like, yeah. if, you, if you don't have that, I mean, it's just like, and like some refugees aren't, you know, like accessible, things like that. But it's just, or like, how do you even get to talk to the guards if, if you are hard of hearing or you don't know, you can't speak English? Like all these kind of things. So it's just, it's just a mess. And it's like solving one thing doesn't work. You know, like Pat Kenny this morning was like, what, what about porn? I was like, if you got rid of porn, all these problems would still be here because it's it's structural in our society and it's been established over thousands of years, long before pouring came along or was anything more than cave drawings and, you know, etches and stuff mm. like that. Like, But it, it does go back to yeah. as well that concept of the ownership of women, that mm. men feel they own women, that they are their property. And, you yeah. know, there's a lot of that feeling and, and, you know, that idea and that is a societal value that has to be challenged. Yeah, that's why it's, I think, it, one of the most dangerous times for women is when they're leaving. 
because it's, you know, the ultimate break of that control. Um, you know, that person won't own them anymore and may go off yeah. and tell people what they've done about them. And that was a danger time for me. Like I was literally on my knees packing my bags and I was picked up and thrown across the room. And that was a scary time. And the app thing is so ridiculous. Like I was able, I was able to get my phone, able to lock myself in a bathroom, call 999. It was still the best part of an hour before the guards turned up. So what if I had an app and press help? It's still waiting an hour or yeah. still waiting for a guard not to even turn up. And then what if they do turn up and they're like, they don't even take you seriously anyway. So, you know, apps and panic buttons and all this, it's just such nonsense that, you know, it's just like, oh, it's an easy option. And this came out as well when we were having, you know, the five rounds that we had for like, you know, um, we need to ban porn in Ireland and Kenny's national conversation on porn. Like it came down to like, oh, we'll, we'll block porn from the internet. And it's like, yeah, good luck to you on uh, trying trying to do that. Like, that's just not going to happen. But that's also not going to solve the problem of misogyny in Ireland and sexism and sexual assault and racism and transphobia and all these things. Like, that's just not, it's not going to, you're not going to block porn on a Monday and then by Tuesday, society is going to be wonderful. Like, that's just not going to be the case. It's too simplistic. And it's a refusal to look at those roots of patriarchy as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I think you're you're absolutely right. And as we go, um, again, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about it, Caroline, because I said I had heard you, you know, you spoke really well um, on Pat Kenny. I think it was very important you did that because we need, you know, those points to be made in this, because if we are, um, you know, talking to some people, you know, how can we make this a turning point? You know, to, yeah. that's the question I know that a lot of people are thinking about. I think it's, a, you know, it is a hard one. It's it's hard because people are emotional at the moment. So, you know, it, it's hard to just figure all this out. But like the answers are there. Like it is, you know, looking at how we treat young people from birth upwards and how, you know, at what point does that empathy disappear uh, from boys? You know, like why is it in their teenage years they're starting to treat women like this when they might have been the most loveliest of boys before that? You know, like what happens? So we need that. We need that education piece really to come in. But we need people to actually take that stand and stand up and be like, if you're sitting next to someone and they're catcalling out their car, call it out. And if yeah. they're being a dick about it, get out the car and just like, be like, is that who you want to be friends with? Do you want to be friends with somebody who treats women like that? I'd be disgusted if my friends did that. And I, I wouldn't want to spend time with them if they were like this. If your friend sends you those nudes, like, it just be like, I don't want any part of this. Like, call it out and name it as sexual violence. Digital sexual violence is just as damaging and destroying as in-person sexual violence. So calling it out, you can take bystander classes at university. You can take consent classes at university. But you can also just educate yourself. There's about 50 billion books out there on, like, how men can stop sexual violence and how men can support other men to you know have this conversation again like google is free you know we are not new to this conversation women have been shouting about this since like you know officially in an organized collective way like since the 70s when domestic violence was first named as domestic violence like this is not new but it's like it is calling calling your people to account and we know that you know that's not really happening i mean donald trump admitted 
to sexually violating women and still got elected. Christian Ronaldo is like the massive one that like men might be like, oh, I'm t- I'm great at women, but we'll still cheer him on but and say, oh, well, he wasn't convicted. No, he wasn't convicted because he paid off his accuser or whatever it happened. But he admitted in court documents that, oh, she said yes, but I kept going. That's rape. That is what rape is. Someone says no and you keep going. So he is a self-confessed rapist. And yet we still think, oh, he's great. He can kick a ball around the pitch. It's fine. Like, and anyone who raises that on Twitter gets such an amount of, of abuse. So we need men to call it, like, stand up and call this out. Like, do you want to be cheering on a rapist? Like, is that the role model you really want for your child? And, you know, we see this in just so many things and like sports and music and TV and everything like this. And it's like, who are our idols? Like, how can we actually call them out and stuff? And not only... Like there is an element of racism as well. Like people are very quick to call out people of color who've committed heinous crimes, but we need to look at white people and and people of all ethnicities and positions in society and everything and treat everyone the same. And like a rapist is a rapist, like a murderer is a murderer. You know, there was obviously a lot of racism perpetuated on social media in mm-hmm. this case. Yeah. Um. You know, and it turned out that that person has been eliminated from inquiries, but it's like like okay like you know you're making this person's nationality part of this what about all the white men that you're not calling out right now like and 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 i think as well what comes into mind when you when you're speaking there is you know all the not you know the the irish fathers uncles you know sons who engaged you know and still do in you know sexual violence against their partners their family members you know that we have to be careful in this that we don't see it as something just out there. That no. is, this is something, and I think that's probably the most difficult thing that what Maureen O'Connell referred to as a pandemic in society. That this is endemic in our society, and that therefore it's something that we have to look at in all of us. You know how how are we perpetuating that? How are we not challenging it? And and as men, you know. Um, and I am conscious as well, you know, there are men who suffer sexual violence and, you know, I've suffered sexual violence in the past and, you know, assault. And I think in some ways as well, that should make us hopefully more understanding and to be able to talk that that this is a societal thing. It's men and women. It is men doing it against women, but for many reasons. And it happens to men also. And the more that's talked about that as well, I think that that's, you know, a more open society, one that actually sees that we value people as human beings, because I think that is actually what happens at the root of this, that there's the ob- not just the objectification, but the, the othering of women. Um, and yeah, it is, it has to change. I just feel it has to change. I think the othering of perpetrators as well, when we kind of say things like they're mm. a monster, it's like they're not monsters. They're like your friendly neighbor who cooks you, bakes you cookies or minds your cat when you're away. They're your, or- they're your parent. Your parents, people who took you into bed at nighttime or, you know, the the person you thought was a safe adult or that friend you have like amazing nights out with or all those kind of things. Like the person who's been the best person in the world to you can still abuse someone else. You know, that thing of like, well, they've been fine with me. Like that's not the case, you know, and it's so harming for victims to do that, you know, like or for victims to hear that. I mean, you know, one of the hardest things I found dealing with my experiences was the people who went to bat for my abuser. And some of them went out of their way to support him, you know, because they didn't like me. 
you know, I probably wasn't. A and, and that's something that, again, something. Qu- quite high profile you know? in Irish court cases where we see, you know, traditionally has been judges have given leeway to respectable people of society to come in and, you know, s- defend the, the perpetrator and, and give the character witnesses and. Yeah. It's like, so what if you're great at playing GAA? Like, like Ronaldo's great at playing football. Yeah. Still admitted, self-confessed rapists. Like, this is the thing. We can't other these people. They are people in our worlds. They are people who are lovely people in many other regards and still do terrible things. So, you know, that good, good people do bad things. It's not like, you know, whatever the other flip side of that is. But like, yeah. I don't think othering, you know, the perpetrators really like does us any favor because it kind of pushes them away and and we don't deal with it then we just think they're a monster we have to examine how that person chose to to commit those acts because we have to understand this and we have to look at it maybe there's an intervention thing and there are intervention programs in ireland that deal with teenage sex abusers grossly underfunded of course because who wants to who wants to even admit that like 12 year olds are raping people like who that is not a comfortable conversation you know for anybody to have but it doesn't matter it has to be had you know those programs are you know hopefully doing really great work but how much work can you do when you're really underfunded you're understaffed and you're operating you know on a shoestring in crisis you know so it's just like like Feck Leo and his tweets, like do something, do yeah. something. What was it? The Greyhound industry got something like 17 million last year or something like that. Imagine the lives changed and saved if they were put into prevention programs and into refuges and into sexual violence centers and all that kind of thing. Imagine 17 million. Some women like would still be here today if, you know, maybe that was the case. Maybe, you know, an extra helpline could have been set up and it wasn't engaged when they rang, you know, yeah. all those kind of things. And and it does reflect priorities as well. And of course we are historically deeply conservative society, you know, controlled by the church and that leaves its legacy as well in all of this talking about what is considered taboo and what is not. And therefore, you know, how many things are not talked about and, um, and what's not talked about and discussed. And, you know, in this, it, it, yeah, I just my my heart breaks for their family and for Ashling, obviously. Um, and the vigils are taking place today. Um, I don't know will there be more next week or you know where this is going to go, but we just send our absolute, I suppose, sympathies, condolences to Ashling's family, um, to all victims, and um, we need to change this society. Caroline, thanks so much for joining me on Reboot Republic and no Glow West, right. our joint podcast. No worries, teamwork. Yeah, no, listen, I hope this is hopefully one of the last podcasts we'd have to do on, on this subject. And I just, I hope people just do take to heart, let like let the emotional shock, you know, go through. And, and for survivors as well, if they need to debrief, you know, you can call um, services like Women's Aid and Refugees if you just need to talk and get it out there. Like that's what they're there for. So please do. And please do mind yourself and your mental health during all this, because it's an extremely difficult time. Um, but yeah, it, it's let's make 2022 the year of change for this because it has to be it really does you know that it won't be the last time but in some ways i feel you know maybe we need to talk about it more and that's the point as well 
Yeah, that's true. Like, you know, dragging everything out into the open sheds light on it. Look, our yeah. society before, like the amount of abuse that was committed by the church and in the family. Yeah. And, you know, and that we didn't consider other forms. And now we are getting so much better at talking about this kind of stuff so that, you know, whether rates are decreasing or increasing, victims know that they can get help. They don't have to suffer in silence. Somebody will be there to listen to them. So I think the more we drag these things into the light, hopefully the better society gets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Caroline. And listen, I really think you're very brave, uh, you know, and really eloquent as well. And, and you know, it, it's important. Your voice is really important in this. So thank you for speaking out on it as well. Thanks, um, Mallory. And just in terms of if anybody is affected, there is the um, support service from Women's Aid has a national free phone helpline, which is 1-800-341-900. That's 1-800-341-900. So take care, everybody, and we'll talk to you all soon.